Hey, friends. I have the honor of uh, introducing uh, my friend who's going to be preaching this morning. Uh, yeah, this is, this is Wade. And um, yeah, and so if, if you didn't catch it, uh, Wade and Dale and Darren are all from California. They're from Southern California. And when I go and go on vacation or take a few days off, one of the favorite places that I have to go is in Fullerton, where Wade is one of the, the co-pastors of the, uh, the, the uh, Fullerton Vineyard. And so I'm really excited that you have a chance to meet some of my favorite people. And so um, Wade, what I would say about Wade is he is one of the funniest people I know. That's a lot of uh, pressure. Yeah, there's no pressure at all. Um, and uh, I mean, we've known each other for a number of years and they've made their church family and hanging out with them has really become a second home for me. It's one of the greatest expressions of, of what Christian community is like. And so I'm so glad that, uh, that, they're, that they're here. So um, Wade has a, a heart after Jesus. He's not only funny and a great friend and a great hang, but uh, he's, uh, he's got something for us this morning. So um, why, don't you, why don't you give it up for Wade again, and uh, he'll take it away. No, no. Okay. I'm kidding. I, I teach high school, so this works. I kill in the high school room. Um, but yeah. <laughs> I told Justin, the reason we were coming here was we were kind of doing a background check, because he comes out and he's one way, we were like, let us see what you're really like. And he's, he's authentic, he's the same wherever he goes, right? That's a good thing. So uh, he did, uh, I did have a lot of anxiety coming out here from California, so uh, I kept saying, Justin, what do I wear, what do I do? And so um, he said, wear layers, so that was me at the wild game yesterday, added by two seats. And then... Um, this was my phone when I left, so if you want to know what severe weather is in Southern California, it's 62 with a 40% chance of rain. Stay inside, right? Every newscast is Stormwatch 23. There's water falling from the sky. Flooding, I think, is just puddles, but as um, soon as it rains, nobody can drive. It takes you an hour and a half to get to work. And so I thought, this is severe conditions. I did realize that California does not know how to make a coat. Um, because whatever I had as a coat did not work. So I bought sort of like a Columbia, it looks like a baked potato on the inside. And uh, I've been wearing that around, which is really nice. I've lost 48 pounds, so, um, but it's nice, I've been warm. So, um, you know, I was really happy to come and, and do uh, music. We actually did part of these songs at our church back in Thanksgiving with Justin. It was nice to do the whole album the way we did it. Anyone here Friday? All right. Can you still hear? Was it too loud? Was it okay? No, I'm kidding. I'm the one that can't hear. Um, so yeah, my name is Wade, and I pastor a church with my wife in Fullerton. We've been doing it for almost nine years. Uh, All Things Rise has kind of been the Easter anthem since we started. And so if you guys haven't been with us, uh, Justin did kind of the first part of this and talked about how God's goodness is free and boundless, and then Pete kind of followed up with this idea that God and his holy word is beautiful, and he formed the world in such goodness. And then I have... Um, the line that basically says, uh, Son of God, in you we've taken up the way of love's occupation. And so the first thing I said, and I'm an English teacher, I said, uh, Justin, how exactly are you interpreting love's occupation? Um, but the way I look at it, and again, we can argue it's a song lyric, but uh, what's really great about this line is, first of all, the theology is correct. Son of God, Jesus, right? In you, we've taken up 
the way, your way of, of love's occupation. We, we're going to love others, the mission of this church, the, the vision, the values, right? Love God, love people, change the world. I think that's what love's occupation is. I think um, it can't happen unless you understand that you are loved by God and that you understand God's identity and that love through you should go to other people. I've never seen anywhere where people spend more time with Jesus and less time with other people. Um, we always say at our church, you can't be a Christian and be racist. <laughs> just can't happen. But you spend time with Jesus, he's going to change your heart for people that you may not understand or may not be like. And he always kind of sends you out. It's kind of like he saves you into a family, rescues you from darkness, right? and then you're the light that goes back out and reflects Jesus to the world. And so we're going to kind of look at that idea today um, and what it means to, to, to be that, to be love. Um, we always say, you know, be with Jesus, become like Jesus love like Jesus at our church. Or another thing we say is, be whose you are wherever you are. So if you understand whose you are, and out of that identity, you go to other people, um, you get to be a representation, an image reflector. You get to bear the name of Jesus. And we hope our, our lives align with our beliefs. And uh, sometimes they don't. And the church, you know, needs to do a better job at that. But you want people to ask you questions. Evangelism, the E word, that a lot of people are like, oh, hey, let's not talk about that. Uh, is easy when your life reflects Jesus because people will ask you questions. They'll want to know, why are you getting up on a Sunday? I saw the sunrise today for the first time in like the last 40 years. Because <laughs> we, we do church on Saturday night. So we start at 5 o'clock. By design, we're not Seventh-day Adventists. We, we actually wanted to do Saturday nights. So then we go out into the community and we, we take over a restaurant or a, a place and try to bless, you know, um, our church actually. Um, we have about... Now, probably 14 worship leaders in our uh, church, so we couldn't rotate them through. So we said, let's just go and take over a bar or a restaurant and just do music. So one of the things we do is we, we try to bless businesses by bringing our musicians there. And we don't do Christian music. We do, you know, secular music, 90s, 80s, uh, 70s, disco nights. Uh, we even did the music of Stranger Things, if you guys know what that is. Uh, but then we, we sneak in sort of like, you know, some worship songs here or some refrains. But the main thing is to be present in the community because we have a lot of people that will not enter a church. So the church has to go to them, right? That's the way of Jesus. Jesus spent a lot of time with, with sinners. Uh, we're all sinners. And, and so much that, that people thought he was a drunkard and a glutton. They didn't understand what he was doing. And because he spent, he wasn't afraid of people's sin and darkness and messed up lives. And sometimes the church is, right? We're a little bit scared of that. And so I would say there's nothing more important than knowing that you're loved by God and receiving that love and then giving that love. Some of us try to give the love before we receive it, and I'm telling you, you'll wear out. You'll burn out. It'll be tough. And so um, there are two questions that I think kind of cover this idea. A.W. Tozer says, uh, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us, which I really like. Our thoughts about God are important. Um, you know, I did some research, and a study came out, and it said that, you know, people who, who pray, um, you know, if they view God as um, angry, mean, manipulative, distant, untrustworthy, that praying actually raises anxiety because they have the wrong idea about God. So what we need to do is we need to understand who God is, and so when we come to God, we understand that he cares, that he's good, that he loves us that he can handle everything, that he's got it in his control. C.S. Lewis, another theologian, I guess all theologians have two initials as their first name, so. Um, N.T. Wright, right? N.T. Wright, 
Uh, I heard a rumor that he really loves the song All Things Rise because he thinks it's the most theologically correct song about the, the resurrection and, and the kingdom, which is cool. So I'm now going by W.R. Very. Er. So if you guys want to look me up on Facebook, I don't have the handle yet, but um, don't steal it. Right? Um, but C.S. Lewis says, uh, how God thinks of us is not only more important, but infinitely more important. So not only should we think a certain way about God, that should be the truth. Right? You can find that in Scripture. So many times today, people have their own ideas about God. They don't check the Bible. They don't read the Bible. They want to mis, right, construe what's in the Bible to fit their ideas. C.S. Lewis says even more importantly is to know what the Bible says about God's love for you, how God feels about you. And in my uh, experience, um, that was a tough one for me. I'm kind of a head person, so I was like, okay, I got the idea what God is and all-powerful and omnipotent and all these ideas, omniscient and, and what he's done and all that stuff. But um, I don't know if he really, really loves me or enjoys me. Um, so we'll talk a little bit about this today. I want to just quickly go over two people in the Bible that are kind of uh, make me feel pretty good about being a Christian. Um, and that's Peter and John, who are some powerhouses. But I, I love them because when their journey starts with Jesus, they really don't know what's going on. Um, they're pretty rough around the edges, and, and I'm still rough around the edges, but I, I look at this and go, okay, there's hope. Peter can make it. John can make it. I can do this. And so Peter answers kind of um, one of the first questions that uh, Tozer asks. It says, Jesus says to him, who do you say that I am? And Jesus, I would love to, you know, tell you the area, and I'm really into Greek mythology and history, and this takes place at a pretty interesting place that's called um, was called Panaeus or whatever, the god of Pan was worshipped at this place. And, and uh, Jesus, you know, goes around doing miracles, and then he's on the road that heads towards the cross, and he asks this question. It's almost like the hinge of Matthew sort of turns, and now we're all going to look at the cross. And the disciples have no grid for this at all. So Jesus asks, hey, who do the people say that I am? And they have all these ideas. He's a prophet. He's John the Baptist, come back to life. And then he says, no, but who do you? Who do you, Justin? Right? Who do you, John? Who do you, Darren, say that I am? It's personal with Jesus. He doesn't want you to have a, an abstract theology or this sort of idea about God. He wants you to encounter the living God. And so he asks, which I would call the most important question in the universe, who do you say that I am? And um, in my life, and I'm not that old, but I'm getting older. Um, I have two grown daughters in college, so I'm, I'm getting there. Uh, I think this question is not a one-time question. You know, I think for many of us, we think, oh, I got the answer right. Peter was going to get the answer right. You're going to see this in a second. And that's it. I'm in heaven. I got my ticket. I can do whatever I want. As long as I got the right belief, I'm good. And I would argue this morning that this answer to this question is the beginning of faith. It's not faith. It's the beginning. You have to walk this out. You have to live this reality out in your lives. And Jesus is really great because he's constantly going to ask you this question throughout your whole life. It's not a one-shot deal. You know, and in my life, I've realized that over and over again, God has asked, who do you say that I am? Well, I'm really struggling. Who do you say that I am? I don't really know what I should do with my, who do you say that I am? I mean, if you're here today and you're struggling with relationship issues, Jesus is saying, who do you say that I am? Do you believe I can bring peace and, and restoration to these relationships? Do you believe you can forgive and be okay? That I can heal wounds? I mean, there's so many people that have church hurt, right? When you work with people and you deal with people, people hurt you. And people leave the church because of that or lose their faith. Jesus said, who do you say that I am? Am I bigger than that? 
your finances, a job situation, you're struggling. Who do you say that I am? You're losing hope. You can't wait any longer. You gave a time limit. How would you, you know, we do that? We give a little time limit to God. If I'm not married by, you know, if I don't get that call by, that's it. The deal's off, Lord. It's like you have some sort of like business relationship with God. No, he's saying, who do you say I am? And if you say that, you need to walk it out. So I don't want to go totally into this. At our church, we just put everything on the uh, screens because people come with the phone. They say they're going to open their Bibles, and pretty soon they're checking the scores and on TikTok. So it's here if you need it. All right? You guys don't do that in Minnesota. You're way nicer than that. Um, so Peter answers, you're the Messiah. You are the Christ. I did a, a study, and it said that basically that the word Christ and Messiah is used like 488 times, and the name Jesus is only used like 28 times. And it made me realize, like, there's sometimes that, you know, with this whole thing, Jesus is my homeboy, Jesus is my boyfriend sort of thing, we forget that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Messiah. He's the Christ. That's a term of respect. It means you need to follow, right? If somebody's your Lord and master, you follow. So Peter gets it right. One of the few times he gets it right at this point in his life. He's totally excited. And then Jesus, paraphrasing, he goes, you're awesome. Blessed are you. And the Father probably helped you. And on, uh, you know, you, the rock, there's a play on words here because there's actually a rock behind him. And there's a fountain. And there's a bunch of stuff going on, which I can't get into. But he goes, I'm going to build a church. You're going to be the man. And Peter's like, awesome. This is great. And then within five seconds, Jesus starts explaining the mission, the way of Jesus, right? The occupation, love's occupation. Love always stoops, right? Love always goes downward. It, it relinquishes rights. It, it gives up of self. It sacrifices for the good of other people. And, and if you, we didn't learn that, we should have learned that during COVID. There are people that really had to decide, do I love people enough to sacrifice my preferences and rights for other people? And we realized that my church, not always, right? That was tough for people. And so um, I think uh, Rich Nathan calls it the downward escalator. Like you're going down while everyone's going up and trying to get, you know, more stuff and more popularity and more power. But Jesus' way is always downward. It's always grace. And I'll tell you this. If you don't, if you don't know God's love, you'll operate in legalism. You'll operate on like a quid pro quo basis with God. But if you understand God's love, you'll operate as great, with grace. And I think that's what we're called to be as a church, as conduits of God's grace and mercy in the world. And so Jesus explains, hey, this is my mission. This is what's going to happen. I'm going to actually suffer and die. And Peter, you know, the rock now, he's been named the rock, uh, which is also a play on words on his name. But anyways, Jesus uh, turns to Peter, and because Peter says, hey, that will never happen to you. You're the Messiah. I just got the right answer. Now listen to me. He takes him aside, doesn't want to embarrass him in front of the other disciples, you know, Peter, and says, this will never happen to you. You're not going to do that. And then at this point, Jesus realizes my definition of Messiah and Peter's definition of Messiah, they don't match. And that's kind of like us, right? We have our own ideas of what Jesus is like. Scott McKnight does a test in his seminary school, and he has people talk about what they're like, and they do another test about what God's like, and it's a 90% similarity. <laughs> If your God looks a lot like you and likes the things that you do, probably not the same. Jesus is in the Bible. So he says, I know you are the rock, but in five seconds of opening your mouth, Peter, you're now the stumbling block, right? He actually says, get behind me, Satan. In other words, you're aligning with things that aren't of me. I would call this anti-Christ, right? You're doing the things that aren't really a part of my mission and my way of love. 
You don't understand the way of love. And so he rebukes him because he's concerned with human things. And then he says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life with me, right, for me, will find it. And so I love this because in our lives, we need Jesus to correct our answers about him. We go to the Bible, we go to church, and we try to correct Jesus, right? We call him Lord, but we don't follow. So Jesus says, hey, I can help you. And what's great, again, is Jesus is going to stick with Peter. He's not going to give up on Peter and continue to, to work in his life to show him what it means to understand him as Messiah and understand him as one that's loved uh, by Jesus. John's another guy that I love. Um, John uh, also has the right answers, and he's really preoccupied with love. If you read a lot of John, he's like, hey, we're beloved. We are deeply loved. You can love one another. God is love. Love, he's just all about love. Probably the first original hippie, but he got his theology right, okay? Um, and he, he's all about this, and what I love about him is I read stuff, you know, like in 1 John, dear friends, People say that's a, a weak translation. It should be deeply beloved. Let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows of God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So John gets the theology. I know the mission of Jesus I understand it's about love, but um, he didn't always have it together. And this is what I like about John, because it reminds me of me and my shortcomings. Um, of course, he wants us to understand love intellectually, but he also wants us to experience love emotionally and spiritually. And sometimes, you know, you guys have probably heard this cliche, but the distance from here to here is miles for some of us. And for me, it was miles. I had it here, but I didn't understand it here. And so, you know, I'm like, man, this guy's pretty rad. Until I read earlier in his life, this is the same guy who uh, was called Sons of Thunder in Matthew 20. He's the one that when they went and, you know, ministered to a group of people, he didn't like that they rejected him. So he said, you know, Jesus, can we just call down fire and burn these people up? So he's a little bit racist. His, his mom, right, had the two kids. They were like his, her pride and joy. Um, I don't know if you guys know the, the, the term tiger mom. But my wife's Chinese, so I can say that and not be in trouble. But a, and she's not a tiger mom. But a tiger mom, you know, this is the original tiger mom, a helicopter parent you guys might have heard of. They just hover over their kids. She's the lawnmower parent. She's like, no, no, these two, come on, Jesus, put them at the right hand and the left. These, these are the honor roll, Jesus honor roll. I want them. And so no wonder John and, you know, James were a little messed up. Um, <laughs> But she says, of course they'll drink the cup. They'll go through suffering. And Jesus trying to say, you don't understand what you're asking. The way of love is, is downward. It's, it's humble. It, it involves sacrifice and, and giving of yourself. And in, in his case, death, right? We all have to die to ourselves. I mean, Jesus is always saying, count the cost. We want to negotiate the cost with Jesus. We want to bargain with him. We say, no, count it. And so, you know, they end up actually doing it. But at this point, they're not that great. And then John ends, you know, um, his life doing some, writing some great letters, um, Revelation. It's, it's awesome. But um, one of the things he calls himself five times in his gospel, he's writing his own gospel. He calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. I'm like, what a pompous guy. Like a bragger, a pretentious. You know, doesn't he know there's 11 other disciples? What's he doing trying to tell people that he's the disciple whom Jesus loved? 
And so I'm, I don't like that. Like, I want to see, you know, come on. But then I realized, wait a minute. They're all disciples that Jesus loved. He loves you. He loves me. He loved Judas. The reason John is amazing is he answers the second question of those two questions. He knows how God thinks about him. And that's his number one identity. Right? He could have been a fisherman, right, of Zebedee and son or whatever. He could have been um, a disciple. But he says, no, I know that I'm loved by my Lord. I know that I'm loved by the Messiah. Jesus loves me. And that's how I'm going to describe myself. That's the core of my identity. And I would argue with you, if you don't know that and understand it, it's hard to do the stuff that Jesus calls us to do. Because you'll do it in your flesh and you'll burn out. But understanding that Jesus loves me. He understands me. He actually enjoys you. You know, um, I grew up with this idea that um, God doesn't really like you. He's actually mad at you, but he's going to take it out on Jesus because, um, you know, you're so bad. And then I started to read more about Jesus, and I'm like, wait, Jesus reveals the Father to us. Jesus is the glory of God. Wait, if Jesus loves me, then God loves me. And I started to change my perspective. What I love about uh, John is in one of these verses, it says, this is the one who leaned back against Jesus' tr- uh, chest or breast during the Last Supper. I'm like, what a cool thing. And I didn't know much about this, so I started doing some research, and uh, there's like 50 things I found. I narrowed it down to four. But look at these images of I don't know, that, that, John leaning into Jesus' breast, right? These are all different genres, right? At the Last Supper, John leaning. The, the, the church has caught on to this idea. And somebody said the first one leaning was the last one standing at the cross. John's still there. He understood his love from Jesus so much that Jesus said, John, you take care of my mom. Jesus had brothers. John, you do it, right? So there's something in understanding, you know, and and for me, that's a picture. Um, My dad wasn't real affectionate growing up. He never said, I love you. It was more like, you know, he'd say, mow the lawn at 9 o'clock, and if I slept till 9.05, I could hear the lawnmower going, and I'd have to run and catch it. (laughs) I know I said I would do it. He's like, no, too late. Quality, right? Great guy. But I didn't understand the love uh, of a father. And so to think of, like, leaning in my dad's lap, that, that, that never happened for me. And now I have two daughters. And they texted me yesterday and said, Dad, we want you to tell us that you love us more. And I'm like, I hope I don't become, like, you know, leave a gap in their lives because they don't understand. I do it all the time. But they said, and say our names when you do it. <laughs> they're 18 and 19. They're not little kids, right? But now I'm like, oh, I, I have to believe them because they're adult women saying, you know, say I love you, Bella. I love you, Carrie. Don't just say I love you. I'm like, okay. That's what I got when I was in the hotel room. And I'm like, good timing. Um, but I want to have that perspective. Like, when things get tough, can I go to my Abba Father's lap and just say, I know you can fix it. I know you can make it work. Now, I'm crying, um, and it's, it's not because I'm having a breakdown. Um, in my journey with, with Jesus, because everything was like this, God had to break this. And so, um, I was, um, I got a chance to, to become a pastor. as a youth pastor at this place called the Anaheim Vineyard, or which was the Anaheim Vineyard. Ooh. Um, uh, <laughs> I um, had done a lot of stuff, uh, this long journey, and then I got a chance. I felt, 
you know, my whole life I had this idea, like even when I went to church, I was telling the other cl- uh, group class, I teach high school, sorry, <laughs> I teach uh, AP English and I teach it, uh, I used to teach at a college called Biola University. Um, but yeah, I would go to, ch- I was a Christian, you guys ever heard of that term? Christmas and Easter only? As a Christian, I had a cross, I had a bumper sticker, you know, it said following Jesus is no trivial pursuit, but I drove like, you know, 80 miles an hour and whatever. Um, wasn't really a good witness. Um, anyways, so um, I went to this church called Calvary Chapel, and, you know, I learned a lot about Jesus and the love for the Bible. I also learned a lot about the Antichrist and 66, I don't know, it was like a, I learned a lot, I knew a lot about Revelation and not a whole lot about Jesus, but it made me love the Bible because I wanted to learn. But they had this thing called the afterglow, after the service, like, where you, the spirit would move, but we didn't want anyone to see, right? So I'm eighth grade. I go there. The only reason I'm there is my grandma said, if you come to church with me, I will buy you Haagen-Dazs ice cream. I'm like, Haagen-Dazs? What is that? This is like before frozen yogurt. I'm like, yes. So we go into this room, and I'm like an eighth grade, 13-year-old kid, and this woman said, I have a word for you. And I said, what's that? I thought it was like Jeopardy or, you know, whatever password. The word is. Uh, <laughs> so I'm like, she's all, I see you as a prism. And God, in his light and love, is going into you and out to other people. And I'm like in eighth grade. I'm like, that's cool. Whatever. I'm going to Haagen-Dazs. Let's go. <laughs> and as I went through life, I started to see that happen. Um, you know, as I got saved and I started drinking as a young kid and asked the Lord, who, you know, can you help me? And the Lord said, who do you say I am? Yeah, you can heal me. You can forgive me. You can redeem me. You can help me with all this freedom from bondage. Right? All those who are weary, God can give you rest, right? So I experienced that at 15. Started telling all my friends about Jesus. 15 of my friends got saved. We formed a band. We went all over the world uh, doing Christian music. And then pretty soon we started to see, um, like, people get healed and things happen while we're doing concerts. So someone goes, you know what you need to do? I said, what? You should go to the vineyard. They understand what spiritual warfare, they understand all this stuff. I'm like, okay. So I get to the vineyard and they go, yeah, we got to get here at 4 o'clock and save our seats in the front. Like, why? They're like, because the Holy Spirit is more powerful in the front. And I said, I do not want to go to a church that thinks God is that small that he can't reach the back row. So I sat in the back, <laughs> right? Because I'm like, what is this, right? Um, and I started experiencing some things. I started to do worship. And then uh, John Wimber would take us on these trips. And um, you guys at my church have to explain who John Wimber is, but he's one of the founders of the Vineyard Movement. And uh, we went to Australia and New Zealand, and we started to see healing. And a buddy of mine, you know, he, he prays for a guy, he gets healed from blindness, and then John goes, go pray for that guy, he has no hand. I'm like, oh. So I pray, and nothing happens, and, you know, I'm sort of legalistic going, why did that guy get to pray for the blindness? He's way more immature than me. I know more scripture than he does. How can, you know, and I'm like, it's not about that. It's about grace. It's about mercy, Right. I started to, you know, visit churches. We went to England. Um, Darren and I got to be, I don't know if you guys know who Matt Redman is, but we were his band the first time he ever came to America. And, you know, all this favor is happening. And each thing we're doing, I'm starting to get this heart. I'm reading theology books in my spare time. I'm supposed to be reading literature, right? Because I'm an English teacher. But I'm like, no, I just got to get more of this and read more of that. And I'm like, I want to show people and tell people. And, And finally, all these things that were in me came out. And I said, let's do a service. And so they said, okay, before you do your evening service, and we had the evening service, there was like 175 people the first night. Because there were all these prodigals that had left the church when our 8 o'clock service young adult thing blew up, and they came back. But the thing was, the, the pastor, which is Darren's uh, father-in-law, said, you have to speak in the morning so everyone can get to know who you were. So I'm speaking in the morning, and I start crying. 
I can't stop crying. And I'm really upset because I've never, I don't cry. I, I my, ask my daughters, and my, they, he doesn't cry at home. But I'm crying the whole time, and it's, it's, it's like what happened earlier. And it, it, I didn't know then, but I know now that that's just the Holy Spirit. Not I'm special, but it's, sometimes God just either tells me, like, in midst of all this preparation, that what you're saying is true. And I think in the room, sometimes there are people that are experiencing that at the same time. Like, I know it's God's word, and it's not amazing, some weird charismatic thing, but God's word is powerful. And when you experience the truth of God's word in real time, it, it will move you, just like all these other things in the charismatic world. And so I've learned that that's what it is, but I didn't know it then. So I'm doing it. I'm crying. I'm never going to get this job. I'm blubbering through the entire I think the message was called Hopelessly Devoted. This is out of like a Philippians, but I used Olivia Newton-John clip because I was using movie clips. And I'm like, I'm done. I don't know why. The prism thing, it's over. Prism broken, done. My dad had been an atheist my whole life and uh, would always sort of argue and say, I wish I could believe, but I just can't fake this stuff. And it put a wedge between us because my mom was a Christian. My dad wasn't. So here he is, 54 years old, um, same age as me now. And he'd always just said, I, I wish I could believe, but I don't. Darren's leading worship for the first time. That's my brother here. I'm preaching. And I always wanted my dad to get saved at one of our concerts, whatever. But God's got perfect timing, right? He goes, no. So we get done with the thing. My dad walks up to the front. And I'm like, oh, he's going to give me, like, some advice. Don't cry so much, right? Maybe you should do this. Maybe you, well, next time do a little more. And um, he comes up. I go, yeah, dad, I know. He goes, I want to know Jesus. I said, you don't have to say that. You know, it's the end of the... You don't have to. He goes, no, no, I really do. And I, I couldn't. Then I was really crying. So Darren and I couldn't even pray for him. Someone else led him to the Lord. And uh, he's been a Christian, you know, for the last 25 years and solid. So it, it's amazing. But again, that, that's just what happens. Like, you know, some of us, we, we, we go, who do I say, God, I know he can do it, but he really won't do that. Right? How many are single in here? Anyone single? Okay, well, I was a single for a long time. Uh, unmarried single, not even married yet, and all my friends got married. I was in eight weddings as the best man. And every time, and I had a girlfriend longer than they did, and they were getting married. Like, you're next. I'm like, no, I'm not. Um, you're next, right? So when the first service said, oh, yeah, they would tell that to, to me. And what this guy said as a result is he started doing that at funerals. You're next. <laughs> I stole that job from somebody in the morning, but I love that. Start doing that. Um, so that was another issue of me. Like, I, I don't believe God can do it. God said, who do you say I am? Do you believe I can bring you the right person? I'm like, I really don't. You know, I really don't. Even my job situation, I wanted to be a lawyer. I'm driving to UCLA. I'd, I'd compartmentalize my love life. God doesn't touch. My career, God doesn't touch. You can have the other stuff that's sort of like the easy stuff, but the ones I want to control are these things. And God dismantled both. On the way to UCLA in, in, in California, it takes an hour and a half to drive 15 miles, not like here. I'm on the freeway, stuck, and, um, and I'm listening to a radio show, and the guy said, have you let Jesus into all aspects of your life? And I'm like, no, I haven't. I haven't even asked. The whole dream to go to UCLA and be this entertainment lawyer was all mine. So I said, Lord, what, okay. I'm bawling again, right? What do you want me to do? And he said, I want you to be a teacher. I'm like, uh, let me turn the channel. <laughs> I didn't get the right frequency yet. Um, Lord, I, I know you said teacher, but did you say something else, like teacher of the law? Or whatever? Now I want you to be a teacher. And I realized at that point, of course, I love young people. I've always had a burden for young people not having fathers in their lives. And, you know, and ever since then, that's all I've done is teach. 
I taught at the university. I taught at my job for 31 years, and the second I got there, I only student taught for one week, and they said, we have a job for you. I'm like, I'm not even a teacher yet. It doesn't matter. I've been in the same classroom. I have a Christian club. I share my testimony. People have come to my church from um, school. I mean, it's just been like a crazy thing. And then all of a sudden, you know, I go to New York playing music, and a woman walks into the restaurant, and I said, and I heard, she's your wife. I'm like, oh, Lord, it must be the sushi. <laughs> Please forgive me. But it was true. She became, it took two years of long-distance relationship, which I totally recommend because you can't get in trouble that way. Just talk. Um, before texting. Um, so you couldn't go, hi, how? Uh, I said, you guys remember that? Texting, we had to, okay. Anyway, so long distance. We got married. We pastored the church together. So even that wasn't about us, right? We have this big idea of everything's about us. God said, no, I'm putting you together. It's about me. It's about me and my kingdom over and over again. Every time at the vineyard, come forward for 21 and younger. God has a special blessing for your generation. I'm 23. 25 and younger, come forward. I'm 27. Right? All marrieds, come forward. I'm single. And I would just pray, Lord, a word. Show me something. Tell, have that person tell me this, that. And then in hindsight, Lord said, no, you need to learn how to hear my voice. You need to learn how to experience my love. Or else it'll be phony. You'll take shortcuts. This is long time with me, secret history. And so somebody sent me a quote, and um, it made me, Remind me, of, there was a poster I bought when I was 14, a little bit after that prism word, and it was this poster, and it's uh, an interesting artist who does these weird things, but if you notice, it's the city right through the aisles of the church, and I always was attracted to this. I never knew why. It hangs in my drum room at, at home, and, and I've had it for like 40 years, and then I realized the Lord showed me just this week, this is what you're doing with your church. This is what you're doing with the kingdom. We want the city and the church together. We don't want to separate, hide in the church, be afraid of the city. Go out there, like you guys say here, change the world. You can't change the world by staying here. You got to rub shoulders with people. You got to work with people. You got to do that. So at our church, like I said, we take over uh, restaurants and bars. We try to, to partner with people. We, we, a restaurant stays open late just to have our, kind of like your Applebee's, but you know, this restaurant closes at nine, but they stay open until 10. And we've prayed for people we say, I know, would you like us to lay hands on you or, or just pray? They just, just pray. So they're like pretending like they're taking their order, and we're like praying. And people are getting healed in the restaurant. They're, they're their wait staff. They don't come to our church, but they love it when the church comes to them. And that's what we're supposed to do. And that reminds me of, hey, let's remember that we should exist in a place so the church is present in the world. And that we do those things. And I think that's part of love's occupation. That's part of the way of Jesus. It's being that little salt, that little light, all that stuff that works in that way. And then I noticed in the corner is this little banner of that picture, which is the right the Great Commission. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to you, so go and make disciples. I'm like, oh my gosh, was God trying to tell me something 40 years ago? It didn't matter if I got it on the poster. He got it in my heart. He got it inside me, right? And he wants to do the same for you. He wants that inside so it just flows out of you. I think Mirosov Volt says, um, you have gifts, and the gifts aren't for you. They're addressed to other people. Like, we get impressed with our gifts. God's not impressed with our gifts. He gave them to you. He just wants you to use them. Have you ever thought about using them here when you come to church? Or do we just think of receiving? Right? Sometimes, hey, what can God do in me and through me for other people around me in my church family? Can I do the same thing at my workplace, at my school, in my Ph.D. program? So that's my encouragement for you guys tonight. I'm going to try to end with your tonight. Sorry. 
this morning. I got up so early, I, I shaved my tongue and brushed my beard. Okay. See, I'm not funny anymore, Justin. I got to get off the stage. All right. Read. Um, so I know they do read, um, pray, do. Read, I would say read anything by Paul that's a prayer. Because Paul is really fixated on understanding and experiencing the knowledge of God's love. If not, read anything by John and you'll get the same thing. Pray, I would say, ask God to correct the wrong ideas about him that you've lived with. Dismantle those ideas. Let him correct your bad theology. And then pray for boldness and opportunities. And then, I know we want to think of where, but I would encourage you to ask who, or an English teacher, to whom shall I go, right? Where, where do you want, who are you calling me to minister to? And that who might give you the where. And then to do, I'd say, yeah, let's try doing this. Let's try being the church in the world and sharing. And if you're living a life that reflects Jesus, if you understand the love that God has for you, it'll naturally flow out of you. And people will wonder, why is your life so weird? The Bible says peculiar people. I'd just say we're weird, but that's good. People want us. And then wherever your sphere of influence, ask God for where you can co-labor, what, do what he's already, you don't bring God there, he's already there. Just where, where and what are you doing and, and allow me to be present in that. And so I would say also, you know, there's some of us t- today that have been hurt by the church. You might be tired of waiting. Maybe you go, I, I got the head thing, I don't know the heart thing. I need to experience that more. Um, and I think I felt, I was telling Justin about a month ago, I felt like, you know, not to pick on the singles, but again, the church has done a bad job with the singles because we make you feel like you're less than. I mean, marriage is a great metaphor for Christ and the church, but it's not the only way um, to explain that. And, and, you know, Jesus was single, Paul was single, and they did amazing things. But the church is always trying to, I got somebody for you, right? Or, you know what, it'll happen soon. It, it, hey, God has his perfect timing, but don't give up what God has for you when you're single. As a married person with kids, you can do a lot when you're single that you can't do when you're married. So, um, so I felt like we should just pray for those people. So if you could, if you want prayer, just stand up. I'd like to just pray over you, commission you, if you will, in your workplace to be right, a missionary, to reflect God's love. If you're somebody who says, I, I don't um, understand this, I need more of it, again, I want to ask for that. You can get individual prayer. Um, and then if you're single, um, I want to apologize on behalf of the church because we should embrace where God has you in your life and not disparage that. And we've done a bad job at making you feel like, oh, you're nothing until you get married. And uh, if that's you, I understand your pain. <laughs> Believe me. Um, and I want to pray for you too. So, um, all right, Father, we just thank you uh, for this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your, your love that, that should not only be understood intellectually, but should be experienced uh, compassionately, for real, um, in our hearts, Lord. So I pray for those today that don't understand that, that you would continue to dismantle, to change um, our perspectives, Lord. If it means um, giving up our agendas, giving up our, our, our preferences, Lord, we just give you permission and surrender to you to show us what it's like to walk in the way of love's occupation, Lord. If you're here because you've experienced some sort of hurt in the church, Lord, we ask that you, you come and, and fill that place, that you'd bring healing and forgiveness. If you're single, 
or you're just tired of waiting for anything besides just the right one, Lord, I just pray um, that you would give them a newfound excitement for the place that you have, that you'd meet them in that place, you'd fill them with your presence and your power. And for those of us who are working in the world, um, that are working in places like this, Lord, just use us. Spend us like change in your pocket, John Wimber used to say. Help us to go and make disciples and share who you are with the world. Reflect your love. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.